1950, a farmer by the name of Otto hired an advertising executive by the name of Horace to help him market some new fertilizer that he had been developing, maybe to some farms around the area in upstate New York. And so they, these uh, guys got together, uh, Horace and Otto, and uh, they built a relationship. And, and uh, Horace thought, man, I, I can really sell this this fertilizer stuff, and so they decided to form a company, and each invested uh, $2,000, and so they had $4,000 invested in their new uh, company, and they decided in 1950 to take 2000 half of that investment, and run a full-page ad for their new fertilizer that Horace had decided they should call miracle Grow. And from that $2,000 for a full-page ad, they sold over $22,000 in 1950 on the very first uh, run of that ad uh, of their Miracle Grow fertilizer. And the company kept growing and growing. And uh, eventually, in, in 1998, they sold uh, the Miracle Grow company to Scott's Corporation. And in that year, they sold over $120 million worth of miracle grow. Uh, I, I, I guess from those numbers that uh, it's fair to say that uh, we want some miracle growth to occur once in a while, that we want, we, we love to see things grow. I, I've told stories about my yard. You, you, if you've heard those stories, you know I'm not much of a gardener. If, if I was going to garden, I need a, I need a baby step. You know, I need a, a beginner's sort of place. So I went to look for some uh, companies or someplace where I can start maybe growing something as a baby step. And I discovered a, a company that was purchased by a guy by the name of Joe Padot in 1977. He really purchased this product, the opportunity to sell this product that he was importing from Mexico. And it was a little clay pot and you dump some seeds on top of it and then you put water on it and the, over a week or two it would grow. And, and we know this company and this product as Chia Pets today. And I thought this might be a good place for me to begin my gardening experience. Maybe that's a baby step enough for me to grow a, a, a chia pet. Today, they sell over 500,000 chia pets every year. Uh, there are a lot of gardeners in need of baby steps. You can buy a chia cat that looks a little bit like this, and you can grow the little the green fur on your chia cat, that you can buy the, the very first chia pet really wasn't a pet at all. It was a chia man. It looked a little bit like this. You can still buy that chia man today. You can buy all sorts of celebrities and uh, uh, people in, in, in public eye today as a chia pet. Uh, maybe you want a uh, Donald Trump chia pet like this one. <laughs> All right, you could buy that. I, I'll just let you insert your own hair joke there, right? Everybody has a mandatory hair joke. And uh, we love to see things grow, whether it's in our garden or on our chia pets or in our families. We, we uh, as parents, we want to see our kids grow. We want to see our kids grow physically. If our kids stop growing physically, that concerns us. And we, we take them to the doctor. We need to have that checked out. We've got to figure out what's gone wrong in their physical development? How come, why is it that they are not growing? And as followers of, of Christ and as parents, we should want just as much as we desire for our kids to grow physically, we want our kids and we want our families to grow 
spiritually. And we have to be serious about that spiritual growth as well. We can help our families grow in God. And I think there's just a little section of Scripture in one of the letters that the Apostle Paul writes that we call Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to take a look at the first four verses in chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians. And I think it teaches us four keys to help our families grow to know God more. I, I want to say that over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to take a look at three different rooms in our homes, and we're going to take a look at three different specific relationships in our families. And, and I know that we're all in different seasons of life, and so some of these relationships apply more directly uh, to some of us than others. But I will say every week as we sort of unpack the truths of Scripture, we can, we can find truths in these, this week, these four keys that we can apply in every one of our relationships, no matter where it's at and where it's developing, whether it's in the workplace or in in our home as parents with our kids or as kids with our parents, as as children with, uh, you know, as adult children of our our aging parents. There are are principles and truths here that we can apply to every one of the important relationships in our lives. And so uh, even if you're not in this particular season of life, I, I want you to... Stay locked in, okay? Stay tuned in the best you can because there are truths here you can apply right now and certainly there are truths that maybe you can apply down the road if you're in a place in life where you're not thinking about marriage, you're not thinking about children yet and all those sorts of things. Uh, there's some important stuff here for perhaps down the road or, or in other relationships in our life. Three or Four truths, four keys that uh, we can apply to our, our, our families and help them to grow t- to know God more. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to take a look at the first four verses here in chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. This is what God's Word says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A a short passage, a short four verses with four keys to help us to grow our families to know God more. Key number one is obey. Key number one is obey. Uh, we read that in the very first uh, uh, verse here. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Obey, obey is one of those words that some of us struggle with. We, we read that and we think, man, that, it makes us uncomfortable. We're not, we're not really okay with obedience in general. We struggle with that idea and that concept of obeying anybody at any time. It just sort of, it just sort of gets our, makes our hair stand on end. And, and I think that... Uh, we need to unpack this a little bit and understand what we're really driving at here as kids obeying our parents and what parents we need to know as we seek that obedience in our children. And so as we unpack that big idea, I want to work backwards through verse 1, okay? Because I really think there are three phrases that are super important that help us to understand what it means to obey and what we're really driving at here uh, from God's Word. And so I want to start at the end of verse 1. and uh, we'll work our way back. And the first phrase I want us to take a look at is, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I suppose if obey gives us a little bit of trouble, then this phrase sort of frustrates us as well, right? We we get to this place where we're, we're wondering, well, you know, 
what is this to do what is right? Maybe we've used that phrase before. I'm, I'm making this choice because I want to do the right thing. And if you've ever used that phrase in that way, I, I have to do this, I'm making this choice, I'm going in this direction because it's the right thing to do, then as I look over my experience in life and using that phrase, often it, it ended up being something that I didn't really want to do. You know, I, I thought this is going to be sort of the hard path to follow. It's the right thing to do. And so maybe that's been your experience. When you, when you choose the right thing, it's sort of the difficult path. It's the hard track in life. And, and maybe we're not, we're not so sure that that's what we want to do. And maybe some of us are thinking, how in the world do we decide what is right in the first place? How can we understand what the right thing to do really is? We're sort of living in this world where, where everybody gets to decide for themselves what the right thing is. We, we use language like, you know, she's, she's speaking her truth or he's speaking his truth. And I think what people really mean is that there's some valid ideas that we need to understand here. But we kind of unpack that and we start to, we start to believe that, well, maybe there isn't just one truth. Maybe there isn't just one absolute right and absolute wrong in every situation. I, I was thinking about this phrase, this is right. Do this because this is right. And I pulled off my shelf an old book now. It's a, almost 30 years old and it's just called Right from wrong. It's this old book that, uh, that was a study done in 1994 of, of students. I was a student in college. It was a study conducted of students about how they went about decision making in their life when they were faced with issues that maybe some people might think were right and some people might think were wrong. And the author warned that, hey, we, we are just on this edge of everybody deciding for themselves what truth really is. You fast forward 25 years or so, and I think we're living right in the middle of that attitude and philosophy in our world today, that everybody just sort of is, is choosing for themselves what right looks like, what truth looks like. Uh, of course, the author of this book, uh, he, his, his, uh, his concern, his idea is that we can know what absolute, that there is absolute truth, that there is something that is right and something wrong in every situation, and we can understand that from Scripture. He, he said, when you read Scripture, you ought to read it for the precepts, for the commands, okay? And we just read one of those commands, right? O children, obey your parents, for this is right. That's a precept, that's a command that God uh, gives to his people. And so sometimes, though, we get stuck at the command and we wonder, well, who says and, and why? And, and we have to move past the precept to the principle. That's the why that, that's concerned. And we're, we're going to read that there's a promise connected to this because we're seeking God's protection when we follow his commands. There's lots of whys that might exist, so we look for the principle. But we, we ought to move past the principle even to the person, and we we figure out that as we follow God's commands, as we listen to his precepts, as we put into practice his principles, we're getting to know the person, the God behind those precepts and principles better and better. We're growing that relationship with him, which is the, the ultimate goal. There is an absolute truth that we need 
to seek. Can I give you a, a silly example of this that, that played out this last week, I think? It's, a, it's an unpopular opinion. I'm just going to warn you, all right? And it's a little bit of a, of a silly example, I suppose. Maybe not the biggest deal in the world. Uh, the, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Exciting. Exciting. And it was an accomplishment worthy of a celebration. Uh, and so we had uh, a celebration on Wednesday in a parade, and, and some of us were probably at that parade. Was anybody at the parade? You guys are awesome. Awesome. That is so cool. I did not go to the parade. And I, I watched some of the highlights or the clips of the parade later and listened to some of the speeches. And, uh, and it didn't take long to realize that some of the players were really celebrating the Super Bowl victory, right? They had, they had indulged in some adult beverages along the way. And by the time they got to give their speech on stage, they were loaded, smashed. Choose your favorite word there, right? They had, they had, had just had too much to drink. And, uh, and, you, and some people criticized that. You know, well, these, these guys are role models for little kids and for, you know, everybody, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't drink too much, especially in public, and, and some people criticize that decision. And uh, then you heard others say, well, yeah, but, I mean, it's the Super Bowl. I mean, 50 years without a Super Bowl, and they won the Super Bowl, and you heard other people say, well, these are young men. You know, 20, 24, 25, 26-year-old young men, what else would you expect young men to do in that situation? You heard people say, what were you doing when you were 24 years old and something good happened, right? And we kind of justify those decisions. Uh, Look, it's not so much the drinking adult beverages that's the problem, but drinking too much of those adult beverages. In fact, you go back just a chapter in this letter to Ephesians chapter 5. You'll read in verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't drink too much of those adult beverages. The why? Because you make poor choices. Silly things happen when you do that. You, you lose little kids... Super Bowl souvenir footballs and, and run people into parking meters. You know, <laughs> bad things happen, right? Bad things happen because we make these poor choices. And, and that's what God, God's word, word warns about. It, here's the deal, all right? Here's the thing. I am well aware that the worst decisions I've made, the bad choices I've made, the sin in my life has never been televised, you know, and I'm grateful for that, right? It, it hasn't been public spectacle for people to watch, uh, and I'm thankful for that. You know, I know that the situation is different. What I would say is this doesn't change my opinion of those, of those football players, of those men. Like, I don't think they're bad guys because they drank too much on one occasion. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't change who I think they are. Right? I, I understand that my non-televised poor decisions are no better or worse than theirs. Right? We're, we're all in the same boat. But it also doesn't change the, 
foundational truth behind that. That it, it really is uh, wrong to drink too much. That, that not being drunk in public isn't really that high of a standard. You know, that God's word warns against this. That there is absolute truth that we can seek through his word. And, and so we, we could spend way too much time, and maybe I already have, on this last part of this idea of obey. But there is, we can know what is right, and we can know what is wrong. And you go work backwards through this passage and you, you get uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And, and we've talked about the fact that we're, we're understanding the precept and then we want to know the principle and that's so that we can know the person behind the command, behind the why. We want to know the God who is behind all of that. And so we're building that relationship. We want to grow that relationship in Him. Uh, in the Old Testament, there was uh, Moses as he was leading the people of, of God through the wilderness you remember that they would set up camp and then outside of camp Moses would set up a tent and he call, started to call this tent the tent of meeting and he would go out to the tent of meeting and he would meet with God scripture said that he would meet like face to face with God in the tent of meeting when this happened there'd be a pillar of of smoke and fire or fire don't quote me on that there'd be a pillar and you'd know that that Moses was meeting with God in the tent of meeting and every time that pillar of smoke was there and Moses Moses was meeting with, uh, with God in the tent of meeting, then everybody would come outside of their own tent and they'd be, they, they would worship as Moses met with God in the tent of meeting. And this is so awesome. It's such a big deal that Moses has this opportunity to meet kind of face-to-face -face with God. And he has this conversation with God. You can look it up, write down uh, uh, the, these verses in, in uh, Exodus chapter uh, 32, verse 13. Exodus chapter 32, verse 13, Moses has this conversation with God and he said, when I go into the tent of meeting, I, I want you, God, to tell me your ways, right? I want you to tell me your commands. I want you to give me your precepts and explain to me the principles. Why? So that I might know you so that I can grow this relationship with you. And as we seek that truth, as we seek that absolute right in, in our lives, then we, we're doing that in relationship with God so that we can know the person of God, so that we can know who He is and what He would have us to do. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We get all the way back to the beginning where uh, Paul says, children, obey your parents. We're back to key number one, this idea of obey. You look at that Greek word, the Greek word literally means to listen. I find this so interesting. We just spent a, last week talking quite a bit about how we need to listen to one another. And, and here we're, we're talking about the specific relationship. If we want this specific relationship between kids and parents to grow and to grow in, in God, then we need, we need to listen. We need to listen. We need to obey. 
As kids, we, we ought to pay attention to what our parents have to say. And as parents, we ought to have something to say. One of the very best parenting passages in all of Scripture is located in the Old Testament. It's in, in Deuteronomy. And if you go to the book of, of Deuteronomy right now, in and, and chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, you can read this really outstanding parenting passage. It says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. God said, I, I want you to know this, this precept, this command to love God with all that you are, all the time. Verse 6 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I want you to take my words and I want you to put them into your heart. I want your, you to place them in your heart and your mind. In fact, he's going to go on a little further to give sort of this weird object lesson where he says, write these things down and attach them to your wrists and your forehead and write them on the door frames of your house. Everywhere you go, I want you to be thinking about this truth, to love me with all that you are, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. We learned last week you can't separate that from the second command that's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. God said, I want you to know my word and I want you to have it in your heart and in your mind. And then listen carefully, parents. Everyone, what does God want you to do when you have his word in your heart and in your mind? And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. In verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. If we want our kids to listen to us, we ought to have something really valuable to share. And God says, I want you to understand my word, has stored in your heart, stored in your mind, and then I want you to get that word into the heart and minds of your kids. How do you do that? Well, I think first you have to be intentional about it. There had better be some kind of plan to have that happen. All right? And, and so for us, you're here on a Sunday morning, which means you valued, you've prioritized in one way or another just showing up and worshiping together. And as a family, that's so important to prioritize that worship. We live in, in a world where it, committed attenders here at Wallula Christian Church... You know, there's a, such a large percentage of folks who attend two out of every four weeks of the month, and that sort of builds up this large group of, of more committed attenders. You know, I, I know I'm biased and all that, I guess. Maybe you don't want to hear it from the preacher. But we have to prioritize church attendance, worshiping together as a family. There's so much value in this. Uh, we're going we're gonna to learn in a minute that, hey, you know, kids, kids learn way more. They, they catch way more than, you, you know, from our actions than from what we, we say out loud. And so they're going to learn way more from that prioritization of, of just showing up and worshiping together. You, we get to work with a team uh, of folks when we do that. We get, to, we get to work with other folks who are building into the lives of, of our family as we, as we share in kids' ministry and student ministry ministry here at Wallula Christian Church. I'm so grateful for the many people through the years from, from weekday preschool here at Wallula to, to the Sunday school teachers when my kids were young to kids church workers to, to uh, youth coaches and, and youth pastor, our youth pastor Zach and uh, through the years who have built relationships with my kids. Uh, 
as much as I, I'm going to be intentional about sharing God's truth with my, my kids, I need other voices to sound like me. You know, I need that in, same information coming from people that my kids think have a brain. You know, I need other adults saying that and speaking that into their lives. And so I'm so grateful for that. I, I'm thinking, you know, of a story this, this last Christmas break. My, my son Clayton was home from college and his uh, youth coach from high school who was a small group leader through high school called up Clayton and some of their uh, guys from that small group and said, hey, let's go and let's get together and let's eat lunch and let's throw axes at this axe throwing place, which proves how brave he is, okay? And, uh, but that's so awesome that this guy who's not involved in student ministry anymore is still pouring himself into this relationship because those relationships matter to, to him and, and I need him. I need people like him desperately to share these same truths. We need each other to pour into our kids. And so church attendance allows us to get to that. We can be intentional with having our kids involved in, in, in kids' church and VBS and church camp and, and CIY and youth group and jam and all of those things. We ought to take advantage of those things. But did you catch what Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5 through 7 says. That we can be intentional about worshiping together as, as a family at church, about church attendance, but it, it ha also has to be not just that intentional kind of extra step, but it has to be informal as well. We need to talk about it. When? Well, when we go to sleep and when we wake up, when we're walking down the road, when we're sitting in the house, that's like all the time. We need, to, we need to be thinking about these spiritual truths, and, and don't miss this. The team here at Wallula is so cool and so important, but parents, you are the primary Bible teacher in your child's life. Mom, Dad, you are the primary spiritual leader in your child's life. There's not enough Sunday nights for your kids to, to catch God's Word and to hide it in their heart the way Scripture talks about. Make it, a, make it a priority when you wake up and when you go to sleep and when you sit in your house and when you walk down the roads. We need to obey. We, we, we need to listen. Kids, listen to your parents. Uh, parents, let's have something to, uh, to share with our kids. Let's be able to get God's word from our heart to theirs. The key number one is to obey. Key number two is honor. Verse two says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it, <coughs> excuse me, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Honor your father and mother. Uh, honor goes hand in hand with obey, but it, it, it's sort of looking at the uh, attitude side of this equation. It's not just physical obedience, but it's, it's esteeming and respecting your parents. And that, that uh, our, our obedience to our parents changes through the years. But the honor we have for our parents ought not. When my kids were little, we, Sherry and I were in the habit of sometimes we'd ask them to do something. Maybe, hey, will you go to the living room and take care? You have socks in the living room. Go put those in the dirty clothes. And, and because kids are people, sometimes they'd have a list of reasons why they'd rather not do that. You know, I, I'm watching this television show. I'm playing this game. I'll do it later. I'm, I, you know, I'm busy. We you have a list of reasons. And, and we had this habit as parents when, when 
our kids would start to launch into the list of reasons, we'd say, no. No, that's not the right answer. The right answer is, yes, mom. Yes, dad. And I would sometimes say this to my kids in public. You know, I'd ask them or we'd be ready to leave and they'd give a list of reasons as to why not. And I'd say, well, the right answer is yes, dad, or yes, mom, especially when they were talking to their mom. And I had people look at me, I know, like, what kind of jerk is he? But it wasn't just instilling simple, rote obedience that I was after. I wanted them to build the habit of understanding that you know, we have their best interests in mind, that we're not asking them to do something that, that they shouldn't do or couldn't do. Or I, I want them to honor their mother for the rest of their life. You know, obedience changes, but honoring our parents doesn't. This last Sunday, uh, my son goes to school in Oklahoma. He had his first baseball game on Monday. Uh, We decided that, my dad and I decided that we'd go down on Sunday and we'd watch the Super Bowl with uh, Clayton, and then we'd go to his baseball game. And so we were planning to do that. I said, okay, Dad, we got to leave at this time. And... uh, after church, and, and so I was waiting for my dad to arrive at our house so we could head down to Oklahoma together, and he was late, which was unusual. And I finally got this phone call a few minutes later. I got this phone call that said, hey, I had a blowout on, on the interstate, and now I'm stuck. I'm on the side of the road. I have a flat tire. And he said, okay, Lance, I, I can't get my phone to work to call AAA. I have AAA, but I can't get my phone to work to call AAA. And I was thinking, okay, Dad, you got your phone to work to call me? We're not going to go into that because this is a story about me honoring my father, okay? (laughs) So anyway, I said, okay. You know, he said, can you call AAA? I said, sure. And he gave me the information and I'm calling AAA. And then we're on this three-way phone call with the representative from AAA. And and they said, okay, we we know where you're at and have all your information. The tow truck will be there at, it was 1.30 in the afternoon. The tow truck will be there at 3.30, and I thought, I said out loud, and, and uh, I didn't mean to be sarcastic or snarky or whatever, but I said, I really didn't know where the call center was. I thought maybe it was in a different time zone. You know, so I, so I, so I said, is this East Coast time? What are you talking, you know, 3.30, that's two hours, is that East Coast? No, it's not, it was just how long it takes. And so then I felt bad because she thought I was being mean. I didn't mean to be. But I thought, man, you know, two hours, I can't have dad waiting on the side of the interstate, uh, 70, for two hours. And so uh, I said, dad, I'll, I'll come get you. And he said, no, Lance, I mean, you ought to go head down to Oklahoma because if you do that, you're going to be late to watch the Super Bowl with Clayton. And I said, well, Dad, you can't sit on the side of the highway for two hours. I'm coming to, I, we'll figure it out. We'll change the tire. We can do that way faster. Even I can do that faster than two hours, you know, and, and so we'll do that. And, and so I disobeyed my dad, right? Obedience changes. I mean, he was just trying to be a nice guy or whatever. If my dad's risking his life, I'm going to risk my life, which it kind of is. Have you done this on the side of the highway? Move over to the other lane. That's the rest of the sermon, all right? And so, <laughs> so we, we get that tire change, and honoring your parent doesn't change. You know, obedience to them might change through the years, but honoring your parent uh, doesn't change. And, and so we have to have that attitude of, of honoring. And, and this uh, 
verse 2 promises that this is the first commandment with a promise. You read the first, you go back to Exodus chapter 20 and you look at the Ten Commandments. This is the first of those Ten Commandments with a promise. Verse 3 says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The promise is interesting, isn't it? Because if we're not careful, we might think, well, look, this isn't really true. We know lots of great families who have lost loved ones way too early. Right, the, This promise to live long. Uh, we can't lob off or, or ignore the end of the promise in the land because I think that points back to the promised land. That's Ten Commandments and talking about the promised land and, and God had this set aside for his people, a, a place to be in relationship with him. And you take that into the New Testament and you talk about living long in the land. That's living long in relationship with God. Uh, what we can't misunderstand is that all of this in these four verses in in Ephesians chapter 6 assumes a Christian household, right? And so we're assuming as we talk about obeying and honoring our parents that we're doing that as, as those parents are living under the authority of Christ and they're living out his principles in life. And so as we learn to honor and obey our parents, we're learning to honor and obey our heavenly father. All right, that that's the plan here. That's how it's supposed to work. And so as we learn about that relationship, we learn about the person behind the principle, behind the precept, then we grow in that relationship and this promise is to be in His presence, to live long in the land, to live long in that promised land, just as surely as God was preparing that promised land for His people in in the Old Testament, He is preparing a place for each one of us. Key number one is to obey. Key number two is to honor. Key number three, key number three is discipline. Let's look at verse uh, four here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So our last two keys are preceded by this warning about uh, this negative that we're to avoid. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We can sort of understand where anger might come from with this idea of discipline. I want you to put yourself back into a family in the first century where uh, the, the, whatever the father said absolutely was the end of the discussion. That's what happened. He was authoritarian. That was, there wasn't a discussion. There wasn't, that was it. And so like many relationships in the New Testament, this father and son, father and child relationship has sort of stood on its head. Because while children were, children were often looked at as commodities in the first century, Jesus said, Paul's teaching here, hey, dads, your children are not only your children, they're children of God. They have value because they are created by your creator. They have value because they're cherished by the one who made them. Uh, I think about Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, where Jesus is teaching and some little kids are trying to, to get close to him and his disciples are shooing them away. And Jesus stops what he's doing. And he says to his disciples, don't do that. Let the kids come to me. Children are cherished by God. And he, he says here in verse 4, parents, you, you're not to provoke your children. You're not to consider them commodities. You're supposed to understand that they are cherished by, by me, and so they ought to be cherished by you. 
And part of that cherishing, by the way, is following through with this discipline. He says, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Bring them up. It reminds me that every one of us is in process, right? We're growing, we're changing. And so as parents, our discipline ought to change with our kids. This, this seems like a natural, easy to understand thing. I'm, I'm thinking about uh, my own house when sometimes I walk down the hallway and my, my teenage girls in high school are both in the rooms with the door closed because they're doing, you know, watching the show or doing homework or whatever. And I walk down the hallway sometimes and I'll say, girls, go to your room and close the door just so I can feel like I'm in charge, you know? <laughs> just, look, uh, several years ago when they were three or four, it might have been an entirely appropriate uh, form of discipline to say, look, you're grounded, you're on timeout, whatever the deal is, go sit on your bed in your room. And now as a 15 or a 17-year-old, they're like, Praise Jesus. Yeah, I will go sit on my bed in my room. That sounds like a wonderful idea. And, and so our discipline has to change. Why? Because our discipline has to be not only fair, but it has to change actions. It has to change direction. I want you to write down uh, this, this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. This is what it says in Hebrews. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and life? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been been trained by it. Nobody likes discipline in the middle of discipline. All right, it, It's supposed to change our direction, to change our mind, and even the discipline that God instills in us is to change our direction, to change our relationship. So our discipline needs to be fair and it needs to change our actions. We, it ought to change through time. Uh, and uh, we, we need to understand key number three, which is to discipline our kids. Key number four is to instruct our kids. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to go to one last pa passage in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, when I read that word instruct, I think about this passage. It says this, all Scripture is God breathed, uh, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's, it's God breathed. It's God inspired. We're looking at that, past that precept to the principle, to the person behind the command. Uh, that's the source of, of all of Scripture is, is Holy Spirit, is God and working through people and writing it down for us so it, that it is profitable. Some translations and the word that's stuck in my head uh, from when I learned this verse is that Scripture is useful. Right? It's not a collection of just philosophies and maybe principles that are of no use in our everyday life. It's all useful for teaching, for rebuking, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's so that we can learn and have the, our direction in life set and understood. 
A University of Virginia study was conducted several years ago over a period of three years, and and it was determining different styles of parenting. They boiled uh, all of these different paradigms, these different styles of parenting, down to four. The first one they described as faithful. These were parents who leaned on God's word and and, uh, religious precepts in the training of their children. These are parents who uh, prioritized uh, things like worship and praying together before meals and and, uh, going uh, studying God's word. And 20% of parents fell into this faithful category. 21% of parents fell into what they described as engaged progressives. And these were folks who made religion optional but tended to lean on certain uh, religious principles, most notably the golden rule, do unto others what you would have done to you. And 21% of parents uh, were described as engaged progressives uh, that made religion optional in their, lo- in their kids' lives. 21% were described as detached. Uh, the description in this article was that parents just sort of raised kids to do whatever they wanted to do. Parents sometimes spent uh, less than two hours a day with their kids. Uh, they were described as detached. 27% of these parents were described as American dreamers. The most important priority in their life was often like education, but not education for education's sake. It was education so that kids could get into a good college, could get a degree, so that they could get a good job, so that they could earn lots of money in life, all all those sorts of ideas. And so that was described as American dreamers. And 27% of parents fall into that category. Look, we're all going to prioritize certain things. And as we raise kids in all of our relationships and as parents, what we have to understand is we get to choose what we're going to prioritize. And as we do that, I I would encourage you to remember that what you do in moderation, your kids will tend to do in excess. And those are both poor choices that we make in moderation that may play out to kids doing that in excess as adults. And it also includes, you know, the really great choices that we make as parents. When we prioritize things, they, our kids will, will tend to prioritize those things as well. Statistics say that a child in this faithful family category is way more likely to prioritize uh, relationship with God, religion, church attendance, however you want to define it, more than even the next closest group, which just sort of makes religion optional, the engaged Progressives. We need to decide how we will lead our kids and how we uh, will teach them well. Uh, the fourth key, key number four, is to instruct our kids. You see these three jars up here? I, I wanted to uh, just encourage parents for a minute. And, and uh, uh, as an old guy, I get to say now that time really flies. You know, you hear people say that, and, and I always used to think, you know, even, even 10 years ago, somebody would say, you know, just cherish this time with your kids because it's going to be gone in a minute. And I'd think, man, you are really old. <laughs> you know, that's something old people say. But, uh, but now I'm saying it, so I'm really old. Each jar represents a different age that your child might be in the weeks you have. I, I picked the age 18. I'm not trying to say that your job as a parent or your relationship is over when kid's 18. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I just sort of picked 
the societal norm, right? So we'll choose 18, they're adults, they're, they're heading off to maybe join the military or go to college, they're not living you know, every day under our, our, house, our roof anymore, that sort of idea. This first jar is, is a child when they're five years old, the, the rocks represent the weeks parents have left before they turn 18 and leave home. Uh, and, and I remember, you know, when kids are little and you're in the middle of it, it seems like that jar will never get empty. You know, it seems like it, this will last or take, however the day is going, forever, before your kids can kind of move to that next step, to that next season in life. Uh, but man, by the time they're 10, you know, half the jar is gone. And when they're 15, you're down to an eighth or a, maybe a quarter of the jar or whatever. I mean, you, you're getting seriously close to empty by 15. So all I'm saying is we, we can cherish the time and take advantage of the time we have to move what we're placing into our hearts, into the hearts of our kids. I hope that these jars not only represent that, that we have to take advantage of this time right now, but they ought to also remind us that I'm not so sure the jars ever get truly empty. Right? There is still time. If I had somebody walking out uh, after 9 o'clock and saying, the one regret I have in my life is that I didn't know Jesus in time to raise my kids to know him better. And I said, the time is not up. Right? The, the, the way we go about it might change, but the time is not up. Uh, so I hope you look at these jars and you realize that, that no matter where you're at the, in the journey, that the, the time's not up and that we can share uh, our relationship with God with other important people in our lives. I, I read this week, I, I'm not a gardener, but I read this week that there are four keys to any garden. That you can make, do a lot of things wrong as a gardener. Okay, so you ought not keep a list of all the things that you can do wrong. But if you want to grow a garden, you absolutely have to have these four keys. You have to have soil, you have to have water, you have to have sun, you have to have nutrients. Those four things absolutely have to be in every garden. And then there's a list of things, by the way, that you can do wrong that might impact whether or not your garden will grow. But without those four things, guaranteed, it will not. Parenting is a lot like gardening. There's a long list of things that we can and that I have done wrong as a parent. But I promise you, I promise you that with these four keys, uh, we can help our kids to grow and know God more. Without those four, man, it won't matter. The list of wrongs that we do or don't do uh, we have to have those four keys in order to grow our families to know him more. Let's stand and worship him right now.